and so I want to begin by talking about this uh, one song that I love a whole lot. Uh, the song is called So Will I, and I noticed in the bulletin that that's the song we're going to be closing with, and I just thought that's a awesome way how God works sometimes, very mysterious ways. And so this song, it's definitely one of my favorite worship songs for one reason. The lyrics are very powerful. And so throughout the song, God is rightfully established as the almighty creator of the universe, whose creation is a testament to his own glory. And the lyrics also speak about how creation obeys God and how we should mimic creation's obedience to God as humans. And to give you all, give you all an idea of what I'm, what I'm talking about, let me share with you all some of the lyrics. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar to greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. And the lyrics I've just started some of my favorite from this song. The last two minutes of this song rock my world every time I listen to it. The last two minutes speak about God's immeasurable love for us and how it was revealed through Jesus. It talks about the significance of his death on the cross. It erased all of our failures and restored our relationship with God. He lost his life at the cross so we could find our life at the cross. But the big question is, what does it look like to find your life at the cross? And I believe the song can answer this question as well. If you gladly chose surrender... So will I. I can see your heart a billion different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. As believers in Christ, we are called to love everybody always. When we accept Jesus into our lives, we're telling him we are willing to learn to harness the power of Christ-like love. But the real question. But the real question is, what does it look like to harness this type of love, though? Let's pray, and then we'll talk about it. Father God, uh, we're thankful that we can gather here this morning as your people, as your church, and. Lord, as I'm up here speaking, I ask that you just direct and guide my tongue and that what you want me to say will come out of my mouth and the Holy Spirit will just work through me and work through this congregation, Lord. I pray that everyone's hearts or ears will be attentive and their hearts will be open to the message that you've laid on my heart. I pray for this all in your name. Amen. So from the beginning of time, God loved. God created the universe out of love. God wants us to enjoy his creation which he called very good simply because he created out of love. Not only did God create out of love, but he has love as his essence. In the letter of 1 John, the writer talks about this. He talks about how God is the source and embodiment of all love. And so starting in chapter 4 of 1 John, in verse 7, it says... Hang on a second, y'all. <laughs> Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. 
And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loves us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And then later on in verse 19, we read the verse I'm sure many of us are very familiar with. We love because he first loved us. And so God spun the world into existence out of love, and God wants to share his love with us. And when God's love dwells in us, it's brought to full expression within us, which leads to other people experiencing God's love through us. Simply put, we are designed to love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see that love is indispensable. That it is absolutely necessary in everything we do as Christians in this life. And so starting chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but did not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but did not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It is not boast. It is not proud. It is not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. And so let me provide some context for y'all. And so in chapter 12, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church about the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit distributes as he sees fit. And some of these gifts included or include prophecy, healing, miraculous powers, speaking in other languages, the interpretations of these languages, and great faith. The problem with the Corinthian church is they lack love in the use of spiritual gifts. They don't realize that spiritual gifts have no value without love. And so let's jump back to chapter 13. Here Paul reveals that love is far more important than spiritual gifts because love makes our actions and our gifts meaningful and useful. In other words, we are nothing without love. And so we've established the importance of love and how love makes our actions have meaning. What does love do, though? When I was reading from uh, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, some of you may have noticed that Paul said, love always protects. In the world of the Old Testament, the practice of making covenants was quite common. And a covenant was structured in this way. There was a party in a position of power, and then there was a weaker party. And so these two parties would come together, and the party in position of power would provide protection and provision for the weaker party in exchange for the weaker party's tributes and obedience. And we see uh, God, God does this with Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis. And this is certainly a covenant of love and grace. And this idea of covenant can be seen between people in the story of Ruth. In the Bible, Ruth is from the land of Moab, a nation that shared hostility with Israel, and yet she was living in Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi. So not the best place for Ruth to be living at this point in time. And she was a foreigner trying to find her place in a land where her own people were met with hostility. And there's a man in the story by the name of Boaz. 
who is a wealthy farmer, and Ruth begins working his field one day. Upon meeting Ruth, Boaz shows Ruth kindness and makes her feel welcome in this foreign land. And for all of you, all of you that don't know the story, Ruth was a widow, and in the ancient world, there was nothing worse than being a widow. They were almost always forgotten and poverty-stricken. But in order to prevent this from happening, God's law required the nearest relative of a dead husband to marry the widow. The most closely related man to Ruth's husband was not going to marry Ruth. And this is where Boaz steps into the story. Boaz is next in line, and he graciously marries Ruth. He enters into a covenant of marriage with Ruth. Through his love, Boaz protects and provides for Ruth. And then this idea of the covenant carries over into the New Testament as well. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul builds on this concept of covenant when talking about Jesus. Paul says that we enter into a covenant relationship with God when we are baptized in Christ Jesus. And so in return, we receive God's protection and provision. But at the same time, we give God our obedience and tribute. And I need to say this again. I'm not sh quite sure I can emphasize this enough, but this is all a complete act of God's love and grace. We didn't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it, but yet God gives himself away in a covenant relationship with us. Now, I hope we all notice that when we read the Bible, we see God calling people into covenant all throughout it, and he continues to do so today. And so we've been talking about how love always protects and always provides. But love also gives us self-worth. In the Bible, we see that Peter is by far one of the most outspoken disciples of Jesus. But there was a notable time when his faith crumbled. And we, we all know the story. Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times after he was arrested. The Gospel of Luke tells us that after denying Jesus, Three times, Peter meets Jesus' eyes, and he abandons Jesus, weeping bitterly. At this point in his life, he felt worthless. He denied a man he loved and had followed for years. However, we see in chapter 21 of John that Jesus reinstates Peter, that he restores Peter through love by giving him his self-worth back. Jesus removes Peter's cloud of denial by showing him love. Jesus doesn't blow up on Peter, and he certainly doesn't yell at him. He looks at Peter. He asks, he forgives him. He asks for Peter to repent. And what Jesus does next is absolutely remarkable. He makes Peter the rock of the church. And there's one more thing I want to talk about, about what love can do. It can defeat fear. And there are many times in our lives where we allow fear to take control of us. We allow it to consume us, and we allow it to call the shots in our lives. And what Satan loves to do is he loves to plant lies in our hearts. And when we buy into these lies, he limits us. We allow the fear to consume us. But there is a solution to this problem. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And so the next time you're struggling with fear, lean on God's perfect love. And so we've been talking about the importance of love and what love can do, but now we're getting to my favorite and probably the most important part of this sermon. And so as followers of Jesus, 
we've been called to love everybody always. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus talks about this. So starting in verse 28 of Mark chapter 12, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so Jesus tells us that we must love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And then he tells us that we must love our neighbors as ourselves. But here's the big question. Who exactly are our neighbors? And the answer to this question, it should be a little unnerving. It should jolt us. And Jesus certainly does when he answers this question, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so on one occasion, there was an expert of the law who came up to Jesus, and he asked Jesus this question, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so there was a Jewish man walking down a road when he was jumped by a group of robbers. They would beaten him, stripped him of his clothes, and left him for dead on the side of the road. And down, walking down the same road was a priest. And when this priest came upon this man who had been beaten and left for dead, he ignored him and walked to the other side of the road. And then came a Levite. And this Levite saw this man laying on the side of the road, and he did the exact same thing. He ignored him, walked to the other side of the road. And so the two heroes in the story weren't heroes after all. And then comes a Samaritan. And at this point in the parable, the expert in the law who's listening to the story, he has to be thinking, no, no, not the Samaritan, not those people. Because the Jews and the Samaritans, they did not get along. And it was simply because the Samaritans were half Jewish. There's so much bitterness, so much hatred between these two types of people. And Jesus knows this, and he continues to tell the story. And the Samaritan walks up, walks up to this Jewish man. And unlike the priest and the Levite, he cleans his wounds. He puts bandages on him. He puts him on his own donkey and takes him to an inn to rest. And he, and he pays for his lodging. And then, he, then the Samaritan leaves the inn, and he tells the innkeeper, I will return, and I will reimburse you for any extra expenses. And then after Jesus had finished telling this parable, he looks at the expert law and he asks them, of the three people, who do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law said the man who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. This came as a jolt to the expert in the law, and should come as a jolt to us. Because Jesus' answer to this question is, everybody is our neighbor. There's a book called Everybody Always. It was written by a man named Bob Goff. And I would like to say that him and Jesus have the same answer to this question. In this book, Bob Goff wrote, they're ahead of us, behind us, on each side of us, they're every place we go. They're sacking groceries and attending city council meetings. They're holding cardboard signs on street corners and raking leaves next door. They play high school football and they deliver the mail. 
They're heroes and pastors and pilots. They live on streets and designer bridges. They go to seminaries and they live in prisons. They govern us and they bother us. They're everywhere we look. I've read this book. It's by far probably one of my favorite books I've ever read. And Bob Goff is a man driven by Christ's like love. He loves people without limits because he has embraced this idea of loving everybody always. And the reason he does this is because it's a type of life that Jesus lived. When Jesus talks about loving everybody, he meant everybody. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about this. And so starting in verse 43 of chapter 5, it says, You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise in the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so, it's really easy to love people that love you back. It makes us feel like we're really good at loving other people. But you know what? Jesus has called us to love our enemies. He's called us to love the people we don't understand, the people we disagree with, the people who are flat wrong about a couple of things. When we start to love everybody always, we begin our journey of finally becoming love. We need to give away love like we're made of it to everybody always. And there's something I want all of us to know in here. We're never going to love everybody flawlessly, but we can love them furiously and fearlessly. When we do this, our life will become a beautiful adventure because our love will not only change our lives, but other people's lives as well because we'll be planting seeds of hope in this world that desperately needs hope. And so I'd like to wrap up this sermon by quoting from Bob Goff's book, yet again. And so find a way to love difficult people more, and you'll be living the life Jesus talked about. Go find someone you've been avoiding. Give away extravagant love to them. You'll learn more about God, your neighbor, your enemies, and your faith. Find someone you think is wrong, someone you disagree with, someone who isn't like you at all. Decide to love that person the way you want Jesus to love you. We need to love everybody, always. Jesus never said doing these things would be easy. He just said it would work. And so let's embrace this tough yet challenging way of loving people and see what amazing things God will do. As Scripture teaches, teaches us, they will know we are Christians by our love. Let's close in prayer. Father God, uh, Right now in this moment, I just ask that we will just focus on loving everybody always because of the type of life that Jesus lived. I pray that as we enter into this uh, next week that we will just focus on this and look for ways to show uh, awesome love to people who need it the most. Show love to our enemies and everyone around us. I pray for this all in your name. Amen.